Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I'm hoping that the crowds like this are going to make them realize that there is a big issue and things need to change. Not only the country cares about this, but the world and Black Lives Matter. People are waking up and realizing this has got to end. After about two weeks of protests across North Texas, Dallas law enforcement and community leaders got together to discuss police reforms. This is KRLD In-Depth. I'm John Little. It was the day after President Trump met with community leaders in Dallas. Those leaders were of the White House's choosing. This roundtable, though, hosted by Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson and Senator John Cornyn, had a different makeup, and that was not unnoticed by Pastor Sammy Berry of the West Dallas Church of Christ. The Dallas police chief was not there. Dallas County Sheriff was not there. D.A. Cruzo was not there. But we had people there that really, from what I saw, some of them don't even think we have a problem. Senator Cornyn sits on the Senate's new criminal justice reform task force. And that task force eventually will propose federal legislation to reform the nation's policing system and address racial injustices. Let's begin with Dallas District Attorney John Crusoe, who says he's already made several reforms to change policies that hurt African-Americans. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, the foundations of where we are go back many, many decades and centuries in this country and, of course, in this uh, community. But um, since I've been district attorney, I, I promised to, to do something that I did as a judge for 21 years, and that uh, was to improve the process, if we could, and also take data on what we're doing and whether we've made any improvements and where perhaps, in my, uh, from my standpoint, we need to be. And so I ran on that, I was elected on that, and I've done that. And I suspected some things, and I think a lot of our community suspects that we have two different systems of justice, in a sense. And I think that that is true based on what I've discovered since I've been the district attorney of Dallas County. It was something I suspected, but now I have the numbers. And if we start talking about at the lower levels, the entry points to uh, the criminal justice system, uh, most commonly it's marijuana, misdemeanor marijuana, and another aspect that hits on other things that you as a senator have focused on through legislation in the past. And when we talk about criminal trespass, we're talking about mental health, and we're talking about homelessness. And I was fortunate enough to be named uh, when President Bush was in office to the Dallas Task Force on Homelessness. So I've dealt with this issue before. So I want to talk to you about a couple of things. First of all, uh, the arrest numbers for people of color for misdemeanor marijuana 
uh, are grossly disproportionate to their numbers in the population, 80 to 90 percent. And I say 80 to 90 because there's confusion in criminal justice on how to label white and Hispanic. So somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of the people in this community who are arrested for misdemeanor marijuana are people of color. But of course, our numbers in the population are nowhere near that. Is this something new? No. It's been for decades. And it's across Dallas County. It's across the state. It's across the nation. But nonetheless, it breeds a sense of distrust and mistrust by the community. When a community is policed more heavily and more often and charged with criminal offenses, even at that low level, that other communities are not charged with. And so what we have is um, we, we have a policy now in the district attorney's office, by my coming into office, that in order to uh, correct this imbalance, this, this moral imbalance as I see it, that we're going to reject these first-time cases, and we have. Now, there's a moral component to that that I just talked about, but there's also a fiscal component that's to the benefit of the county and to the city in the rejection of those cases. Because before we can prosecute those cases, each one, number one, needs to be tested. And we think that we have saved uh, the city of Dallas close to $200,000 in 2019. And when the state of Texas passed the hemp versus marijuana law, it, it caused new instruments to be purchased, new people to be trained, and a much higher cost per test. And we think that we have saved um, close, we think, based on what we see, close to half a million dollars this year. So in times of tight budgets that we're about to see, these policies not only have a moral component, but a positive fiscal component to the city in any jurisdiction that's filing these. Of course, the argument can be made it's illegal, it's illegal, of course, of course, but we're talking about disparity, and let's be realistic. You go up to Oklahoma, no problem. Carry it, smoke it, eat it, do whatever you want. Everything's fine. But nonetheless, we have that. So that's what we see. We look at criminal trespass and homelessness. We are working feverishly in the district attorney's office to come up with a solution to the police having to take a, a mentally ill homeless person to jail. When we do that, we cost this sheriff a lot of expensive jail space. We looked at one individual, one person named Linda, and we looked back. She's homeless. She's mentally ill. She's been arrested numerous times for criminal trespass. And we think that uh, we, uh, she has cost the county just one person alone and all these arrests for these conditions that cannot and will not be treated in jail close to $100,000. That is a waste of time and money taxpayer money. So what the district attorney's office is doing is trying to come up in the city of Dallas. We have a location. Uh, we need a little more funding. We have a lot of stakeholders in, but a location for the police to take that person. Now, what else is at stake? Patrol officer on the street time. It takes up to, depending, and I was corrected yesterday, yesterday by the sheriff, it is possible that it may take an officer up to four hours, usually not, to book somebody in jail. If we're booking somebody in jail, oftentimes for a gram or two of marijuana, and if you want to know how much that is, it's a sweet and low packet on your, on your restaurant table. That's often what we're doing, okay? And we're booking that person in jail, and I'm not accepting the case, then that officer may be off the streets and answering important calls for up to four hours. That's another manpower issue. So there's a moral issue, there's a manpower issue, and there's an economic issue with the way that we administer police justice in this in this county 
and the district attorney's office is trying to correct it, but also examine it and give it to give these numbers and information to our stakeholders so that they can make the appropriate decisions that they feel. Next, we hear from Frederick Frazier. He's the vice president of the Dallas Police Association and member of the McKinney City Council. He was recently appointed to the Presidential Commission on Law Enforcement and the Administration of Justice. He says they're looking at several issues that influence crime and put a strain on resources for the criminal justice system. I want to express what we've been doing on this commission and how we've been doing it. Uh, It hasn't been done in 60 years. Uh, That's way too long. And we're seeing some of the ill effects of that right now with uh, Mr. Floyd's death. We've had nine full hearings, 35 panels, 125 witnesses. 190 statements of individuals, interest groups, 160 working groups and experts have come through our meetings since we started. With that, we have civil rights groups that we've asked to come in, community engagement organizations we've asked to come in. They have denied. They don't want a seat at the table. I can't fix that. You have to encourage them that they need to be there. If we're going to make something a recommendation, they have to be at the table. Everybody at this table understands that. That's why we're all here. We want to fix something. We do have a broken system. We have broken parts of it that we can't fix. I'll give you an example. On our, st- on our chokeholds, Dallas has, had, has banned that since the 80s. The, the, the total neck restraint that we used to use was we called the LVNR when I came on in 95. I'm still a working officer. I've been here since 95. We started, we trained with the LVNR. We got away from it in 2004 when David Kunkel was our chief, and he got away with it. He also got away with chasing cars at the same time. It was, a, it was a smart decision, and you could understand if you were being about to be killed and you needed to stop something, if that was the only way you could stop it, that's the right way. Our training here in Dallas is, is, is excellent, and I know some folks probably don't think that, but out of the training for the state requires a 696 hours. We get 1,472. So think about that training when folks say, we don't have enough. We get a lot here. We have the longest academy in the country. That makes a huge difference. We do de-escalation training. We have for 10 years. I'm one of the teachers. I understand the de-escalation. We have to have it. We, We need to know that not because somebody is mentally ill, you just have to shoot them because they're holding the knife. There has to be the situation. We have to have the right situation when you're going to pull that trigger. I think Chief Brown said it many years ago. You have to be responsible for when you pull that trigger. And we understand that. I think everybody watched that video in Minneapolis and we saw that eight minutes and 46 seconds go by and nobody did anything. That's where we start. We start with why he was on the ground. We have a case here in Dallas. We need to go back and look and say, why was he on the ground? What could we have done to fix that? We need to understand that that technique should never be allowed. That man was under control. Mr. Floyd was under control at that time. There was no reason to be on him. He should have been propped up. He should have seeked medical assistance for him, and he should have been put where he needed to be put, and we would not have a story today. Everybody knows that. Everybody that's ever been a cop knows that. I can't change that. It happened. But we can change it going forward now. By if this happens again, we, you had the systematic approach to change it. You gain control, get him up, getting her up, him up, medical assistance. And, and if you have a duty to intervene, then that's your responsible as well. That's Frederick Frazier. And Dallas County Sheriff Marion Brown was also a part of the roundtable discussion. 
She says she supports more emphasis on community-oriented policing and improved training, but there is no quick fix to the problems in law enforcement. It is a process, and so this is what we have started here today. It's all about a process, a process where we have those difficult discussions, and we have to reach a point where we are comfortable in having uncomfortable conversations. I was thinking about the fact that we're all cloaked in our masks today. And I don't know about you, but it's very uncomfortable for me. It it starts to get on my nerves after a while, frankly. And so I take it off. But although it's uncomfortable, it is something that has to be done. It is something that is necessary, something that we have to do. And so this is like the process. It's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. It's something that we have to do. And we, as law enforcement leaders, must set the example. I have a scripture that I love to recite to my people, and it simply says that to whom much is given, much is required. That means simply that as law enforcement officers, we have to recognize that we have been given great responsibility And because we have been given great responsibility, we have great responsibility to answer for our actions. That means that we have to be accountable for what it is that we do. And so even today, I'm thinking, how do we take what it is that has happened, not just recently, but things that have happened in the past, those flashpoints in law enforcement, how can we take those and insert those into our basic training and teach our folks who are coming through from the beginning what it is to truly be a trusted law enforcement officer. So I think that what we have to do is we have to work on the training that we're giving to our officers. In addition, we have to continue to be accountable to our community. And furthermore, We have to interact with our community in instances where it's not necessarily an enforcement action. We have to be in the community. We have to go to the people, and we have to learn our people. Because, you know, people fear what they don't know. And so if we don't know one another, we tend to fear one another. So that's why it's important for us to get out into the communities and to continue our community policing and not let it just be a catchphrase, not let it just be something that a couple of people in each department uh, participate in. It needs to be a philosophy and it needs to be one that is genuine, one that is clear, and one that says not only to the community but to the employees of the police department that we are involved in the community, we care about the community, we are the community. That's Sheriff Marion Brown. These are three of the participants in the roundtable discussion on police reforms and racial injustices held in Dallas and gives you an idea of what was talked about at the 90-minute meeting. We'll continue to follow this and bring you updates on News Radio 1080 KRLD along with traffic and weather together on the 8th every day. I'm John Little. We invite you to subscribe to KRLD In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.